This episode is brought to you by my faithful listeners and friends, Sam and Liz. Shout out and kudos to you this holiday season. Hi, hello, all of my lovelies out there in the nerd world. This is Petra, your boisterous brazen broadcaster, and welcome back to Iced Coffee and Comics, your mostly bi-weekly dose of nerddom from your resident basic bitch comic fan. Let's get started with some general news of the past few weeks. I am very sorry for the delay. My personal life got a little nuts, and someone decided that they were going to break my laptop. So, um, I had to shell out way too much money for a new one just so I can do schoolwork because I am working on my master's degree and also so that I could continue recording this podcast. Not gonna lie, I had a hard time finding news for this episode even though so much time has passed, but here we go. Black Panther 2 was released to an amazing critical acclaim. We have also been introduced to a bunch of characters that we have not yet seen in the MCU, so that's really great and I can't wait to see what they do with these characters. The Winter Soldier is now available in Marvel's The Avengers game. I am very excited for this. Um, I know the game hasn't gotten great reviews, but I obviously am picking this up now. Daredevil Born Again will have a TVMA rating. This one could be for some smut. Uh, We stand a Matt Murdock in this house though. Deadpool is supposedly going to cross over with the fourth installment of Sony Marvel Spider-Man. I just want to say, can we please get Andrew Garfield back too? In Thunderbolts news, David Harbour has come forward to tell us that the main difference between the Avengers and the Thunderbolts will be that the Avengers are the good guys, while the Thunderbolts are the losers. This is actually a pretty accurate description of the comic, so I'm really trying to sort through who's going to end up as the leader of the group, because y'all know I'm a Bucky simp, and... I'm okay with that. There's a pretty reputable source that is saying that we are getting Venom in the MCU, so the hilarious Tom Hardy post-credit scene could have actually been a very beautiful segue, especially with them saying that Deadpool is potentially crossing over with Spider-Man 4. Zoe Saldana has announced that Guardians of the Galaxy 3 will be her last Marvel movie. She has said that she will miss playing Gamora and that she would never say no to another Marvel project, but her contract is currently up. Um, That's going to be really interesting to see what they do with the Guardians franchise after that. Um, I don't know anything about Chris Pratt's uh, contract, and I know there's a lot of sad theories about what's going to happen in the next movie, but... Um, As far as we know, Gamora will not be appearing again. Henry Cavill has had the roughest few months of his career between leaving The Witcher, coming out and saying he's coming back as Superman, and then being dropped as Superman by James Gunn. So this poor guy is now doing a Warhammer project for Amazon. Um, I really think his knowledge and his love of Warhammer uh, is going to give this project potential. I just, I feel so bad for him. I, you know I'm not like the biggest Henry Cavill fan but I feel really bad for him because I was so excited to see him come back as Superman. There is a new Dungeons and Dragons movie and the trailer looks like it's gonna be as chaotic as a real live Dungeons and Dragons game. So this movie looks really fun and I actually can't wait to see it. And more personal news, I have launched a Twitch stream for the podcast. In the future, I will probably have some shows that I do record live on Twitch with audience and guest members. Um, So if you want to join some fun Q&As, welcome to that stream. Go ahead and subscribe and like. It is under Iced Coffee and Comics. My house is currently under construction, meaning that I will basically just be doing these streams from wherever in my house right now that doesn't look like shit. So bear with me while that gets done. And that is all the news that I have for you today. So let's get started with our show. I really like to use this podcast to explore topics that are a little controversial and that are going to make people potentially uncomfortable, especially if it makes women challenge their viewpoint. Why? 
because I am a bisexual female. I was raised in a very conservative household, and I have been informed that I am a very strange minority in the way that I view women in the nerd world. There are moments where I feel shame, happiness, attraction, envy, and power, and sometimes I feel all of these things at once. And I highly doubt that I'm the only one. But maybe I'm just the only one brave enough to say it. Today, I'd like to talk about the portrayal of women in the nerd subculture. Now, I know we covered this very briefly in the last episode, specifically in comics, but I want to really focus on what happens to women when we put them on the comic book page or in that RPG and see where it goes. Growing up in the 90s, one of the most pivotal television characters on screen was Xena Warrior Princess. As such, Lucy Lawless was my idol. There are a few reasons for that. First and foremost, I was a very small, impressionable child, and she had the title of princess. I was also an insufferable tomboy whose mother dressed her in the frilliest of dresses known to man. I legitimately looked like I was a pageant girl. I never did a single pageant in my life, but I definitely owned pageant dresses as a child, and my mother used them as daily wear. Now, obviously, Disney princesses wore this kind of regalia, but Xena would never. Not only was Xena a princess, but she had intricate storylines in which she was fighting the enemy. Usually with her female sidekick slash lover, Gabrielle, but you know, we weren't allowed to talk about that because this was the 90s and much like my aunt who lived with her friend of 20 years, we just, we just don't do that here. The main thing about Xena that really attracted me as a child was that she didn't care how she talked to people and she gave the appearance of a strong, independent female character for the entire tenure of her screen time. Now, Xena and Gabrielle were definitely sexualized for a male audience, despite them being the most badass women to grace the TV sets of the 90s. They wore tight-fitting clothing, they often bared their midriffs, and Xena's skirt was a little on the short side, despite being armored. But again, this was the 90s. 16-year-old Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera didn't look much different, and they were being toted around by television screens as the pinnacle idol for young girls. Seeing these things as a kid made me automatically gravitate towards this aesthetic as a teenager while I was trying to find my identity, and I even gravitate towards that aesthetic now as an adult who cosplays. I vividly remember going clothing shopping and how I would feel shame because I was looking at short skirts or things that bared my midriff, things that my little sister is now being allowed to wear to a public school at the age of 14. The argument to me was consistently made that women who were strong did not need to dress like that. You could either be pretty or smart, but you could never be both. Now, I find myself to be very attractive, and I'm currently working on my second master's degree. So, I would like to say that I no longer believe that these two things must be mutually exclusive, but according to every strong conservative woman around me as I was growing up, they must be. As I watched women in comic books and video games wear armor that covered nothing and bare their cleavage to the world and still fight, I never understood why this was wrong. If Felicia Hardy can go around wearing a skin-tight cat suit and rob everybody blind, why the fuck can't I show a little cleavage and be a professional? Why the hell isn't it okay for me to wear a bikini to the beach and still tote two master's degrees as a kindergarten teacher, but Wonder Woman can fight aliens in a strapless leather ensemble? What the fuck does it matter if I'm a boudoir model and I like to read comics? I'm a kindergarten teacher but no one cares if Jen Walter's clothes fall off when she goes Hulk mode and still she can walk into a courtroom. While I've never done any of these things within my career, these things have all affected my career in one way or another. As I was bullied out of a job, I had to think about why it wasn't okay for me as an adult, as a woman, to be as sexy, to be as confident as those women that I idolized. And there's a very distinct reason. 
These things were never made for me. If you're a woman, these things were never made for you either. We must put these things back because they were never created to be pleasing to us, for us to idolize. We are not meant to like them. Those women that I just mentioned, they do not belong to us. We are not allowed to like them. We are not allowed in this space. That sounds really harsh, but let me explain. The vast majority of nerd subculture is aimed at one audience gender, and that gender has a dick. Nerd culture was originally created by men, for men, and while there have always been small pockets of women interested in various subcultures within that nerd culture, it's only been recently that a large part of that nerd subculture has become female. Gatekeeping still exists within that community, and it isn't entirely done by men either. But that's not the point of this episode. The point of this episode is sexualization and why it's okay. While men aren't normally concerned with sexualization of women in the industry, a lot of women are. As women in the nerd industry in one way or another, we are hit from all sides with sexualization. From the pages of the comic books we read, to the screens that we watch, to the most popular cosplayers that we view, scantily clad women hit us everywhere from all sides. Now as a bisexual woman, lesbian relationships are often fetishized in nerd culture. It was a very large reason I was scared to read Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy because I just could not handle another lesbian romance being fetishized by men who don't understand that loving relationships are loving relationships regardless of the genders involved. While fetishizing these women, especially for their attraction to other women, should make people uncomfortable, I'm here to tell you that blatant sexualization isn't always a bad thing. Sometimes it's really okay. Sometimes. Please don't hate me. Well, there's an argument that exposing women, especially young women and girls, to overt sexualization can be damaging, it can also be largely empowering if we take that back from them. Because I know that's what you're here for, let's start with the negative. If you're a female listening to this, I think this is probably going to be your favorite part. Exposing young girls to overt sexualization has a psychological effect on them, and it is largely negative, especially for children raised in conservative families. Overt sexualization of women in the media can make women believe that their worth is inherently tied to their body and their physical image. The mass media, even in nerddom, does not have a large representation of body types. We see models and actresses who rarely leave a size zero, and porn is shoved in your face from a very early age in today's society. I vividly remember that I was 14 the first time I played a hentai game, and I was even younger the first time I saw a Playboy bunny. As someone who suffered from an eating disorder from a young age, I was very confused about what the ideal body type was. Was it a Victoria's Secret model who had been photoshopped, a fashion model with all of her bones sticking out, or the Playboy bunny that I was growing to look the most like? If we look at nerddom, we see women in skin-tight bodysuits with their ribs very clearly protruding. I actually flipped through a bunch of comic books just to see if this had changed, and unfortunately this image is still pretty prevalent. It's only more recently in comic books that I was able to find women who actually resembled a musculature and body type that probably would more accurately fit a vigilante, barring any kind of biological enhancement or mutation. While watching Wakanda Forever, I actually turned to my date when Letitia Wright came on in the Black Panther suit and I said, she's just so tiny! Because as someone who easily squats 250 pounds, I honestly felt like Namor could probably break her. No, she had the whole magic flower thing going, so I guess, you know, mutation or biological enhancement does apply here. But as someone who trains martial arts, her body type really concerned me. Let's break down the abilities that one would actually need to be a vigilante without those kind of enhancements, though. 
We have Bruce Wayne, who trains a million hours a day and has bulked up so much he could be in a steroid commercial. Or we have Tony Stark, who's not only rich, but owns a super suit that he built because he's a certified genius. So it stands to reason that any female superhero would also have to do one of these things. Meaning a female superhero is more likely to be built like Ronda Rousey, Gabby the She-Hulk Garcia, or Rhea Ripley from the WWE than they are Kim Kardashian. Unless, you know, the Kardashians are investing in Stark Tech now. I don't think I, I want to think about a potential future that that happens. Now that's just in the comic book world. Let's talk about the gaming world. Many armors and RPGs that have the highest rating for female characters cover only strategic places. I'm actually thinking of my own character in ESO, who simply was the most beautiful sexy thing I've ever seen. When you go to customize a character in those RPG worlds, though, the body modification abilities that you have often do not span outside of the normal socially acceptable body type. I'm going to be honest, when I make a character in an RPG, I purposely try to make the character mirror my body type because I find myself attractive, but I don't see my body type represented a lot in those kind of situations. I can't ever make a character lose their thigh gap, even in The Sims, which has one of the most in-depth character customization engines I have ever seen. And I'm counting when I try to make my Sims overweight. The point is that body type representation in the nerd subculture is really hard to come by. I'm not saying that we need obese superheroes. I fully think that those women should be built like the muscle mommies in the UFC and in weightlifting competitions on TV, but I don't think protruding collarbones and rib cages that we can see through a tight leather cat suit should be all that women are offered in their subculture and enjoyment. But I'm going to attack some of you again and remind you, this world was not created for women. It was not created for me, so my opinion does not matter. It was created to appeal to a male audience, a mostly male audience that cannot land this type of woman in real life. Check back to my first episode where I talk about the negative stereotype associated with nerd men. This heavily applies here. Now, there's a flip side to this. A lot of the ire that is aimed at this kind of thing from women does come from a perspective of a very deep-seated jealousy. A lot of women are very stereotypically jealous and catty, so seeing scantily dressed women doesn't appeal to them because it threatens their sexuality and everything they have been taught about themselves. Before you come after me, let me explain why it threatens them or potentially you. We as women are generally taught that we must hide our sexuality and we are taught to hate our bodies. If we feel totally comfortable and confident in our sexuality, in our body, in what we look like, we're whores, we're sluts, we're shameless, we're alpha females who will never land a man. Now, as someone who is bisexual, the opinion of a man has never really mattered all that much to me, as all genders are now pretty much my oyster. I'm gonna wear a bright red crop top if I want to, and your opinion on the matter really isn't going to kill me. And I'm sorry if your boyfriend is a piece of shit and stares at me, that's not my problem. I do jujitsu and Muay Thai and I enjoy those things, so badass women who understand and perform those combat sports or wield giant swords and also have zero problem walking around scantily clad or naked make me feel empowered. And they should make you feel empowered too. If I'm playing Elder Scrolls Online, I want my character to run around wearing scraps of armor that make her look like a dragon. When I play Dragon Age, I generally run around in the most slutty armor I can find and throw magic at people while I romance the most problematic characters I can also find. Shout out to anyone else who simps for Anders Solis or Cullen Stanton Rutherford, my man. 
When I pick up a comic, I am highly more likely to pick up a comic featuring a badass woman wearing strategically placed scraps on her body on the cover than I am a comic that features a strong male lead. Leather catsuits? Yes, please. Mwah. I'm not going to lie. I would 1000% wrestle a man in the gym while dressed like Felicia Hardy, the black cat, complete with fur. If you give me a Black Widow bodysuit that actually can move like Scarlett Johansson's in the movies, I will gladly take that to the gym. I will fight somebody. Let's go. So as a strong, educated woman, why am I 100% okay with overt sexualization in the nerd subculture? Because when I explore these storylines, these women are not sexualized for their bodies in most cases. Their visual appeal is meant to draw in the male audience. But we explore their character, not their body. The authors of these comics construct strong female leads who love, who fight, and who bleed and have personalities outside of their sexualization. Yes, they may be visually appealing to those of us who find women attractive, but they're meant to empower us, not shame us as women. If you're ashamed when you see Jen Walter's clothes rip off as she ragdolls the bad guy, or uncomfortable when you see me running around in bondage knots in Dragon Age, ask yourself why. Laura Croft, with her giant breasts and hips, dual-wielding pistols, and taking down a ridiculous amount of men as an educated British archaeologist, is hashtag life goals and proof that you do not need to be smart or pretty. You can be both. She-Hulk in the courtroom is proof that you do not need to be educated or be a gym rat. Natasha Romanoff in her black cat suit, throwing her thighs around a man's neck and triangling him, is proof that I do not need to be a trained combat fighter or be lovable. Granted, she's also toxic, so I guess that means I've got to be toxic too, huh? I don't make the rules. Marvel definitely did on that one. If you, as a woman, cannot find something empowering about the sexualization of female characters, especially those you identify with, you're viewing the situation incorrectly. If you can dress up in lingerie for your significant other and feel sexy, why can't they dress for the job they want? There's nothing wrong with them looking and feeling sexy in a super suit, especially when they're saving the world. Let them draw the male gaze, but in the end know that the entirety of their existence is now for us as they crime fight and take down the bad guys looking like we wished we could look at work every day. And after all, if men are only going to want us and them for our bodies, we may as well embrace it somehow. Thank you for tuning in today to Iced Coffee and Comics, where new episodes drop every other Friday from now on, and minisodes drop every Wednesday. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts, and visit us on TikTok at The Winter Kia. You can find us on all social media under Iced Coffee and Comics, and unlike other casters, we do check and respond to the majority of our DMs. We do have a Twitch now under Iced Coffee and Comics, so feel free to subscribe and tune in when I play. Until next time, have a wonderful Friday and a happy new year, and I will see you very soon. Stay safe, my loves.